Please turn this morning to Colossians and chapter 2 and the verses 8 to 10. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Well, the Apostle Paul here is writing to the Christians in the church at Colossae. And these were men and women who had come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. But in his day, just as in every day and age, there were those who were going about teaching false doctrine. There were the false teachers. And here, the Apostle Paul is warning the people to be aware of those false teachers and to steer clear of them. And he's calling them and warning them of the potential consequences of going uh, after those false teachers. And he says in verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And he goes on in the passage that we're going to look at this morning to tell them that if they become those who listen to the false teachers, they will simply be returning to the modes of thought and patterns of behavior that were characteristic of them before their conversion. They will simply be led back into their pre-conversion ways of thinking and ways of living. And so as we look at it this morning, we're going to look at it uh, for the blessing of our souls if as yet we're outside of the kingdom of God because here Paul perfectly describes and warns us of the ways in which we conduct ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ begins to deal with us. And it's so uh, complete. It is so full. And it, it ends with uh, a, a, a call to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's begin immediately in verse 8 with this little word, Beware. Beware, says the Apostle Paul. And he is going to warn his readers. And he is warning each one of us here this morning. Now, some of us will have had children when we're young. Some have children now. And you are, if you ever were a child or you've had children, you know what it is to either receive or to give a warning. Don't play with fire. Don't run out into the road because there are dangers that you might face. And uh, these things may be unwelcome. They may be difficult to hear, perhaps, but those warnings, when given, when properly understood, are warnings that arise from love and from concern. It's the harm that the child might come to if they were to play with fire. It's the injury that they might sustain if they were to run out into the road and be hit by a passing driver. And it's a, an expression, a real expression, a genuine expression of love 
that those warnings are given. And so it is here. Some of the things that the Apostle Paul is going to say cut right across perhaps the way in which we think our outlook upon life. And they may be as unwelcome as a warning to not to do something, but they come from the same spirit of concern, the same spirit of love. Indeed, it's an even greater sense of urgency because the consequences are even greater because they have to do with the eternal destiny of our soul. Beware, says the Apostle Paul, and we're going to focus upon his warning this morning. Beware. Can I rephrase that? Be aware. We might paraphrase it. You see, so often we walk blindfold through life, oblivious, unconscious of the forces that are at work. We may imagine that we are independent thinkers, that we forge our own pathway through life, that we are in some measure a captain of our own destiny. But Paul is saying to us here, you're completely unaware, oblivious to the fact that there are forces acting upon you. There are things occurring uh, to shape your outlook and thinking that you're unconscious of. And so he's calling us to not only to be warned, but to become spiritually aware, to consider these things perhaps as never before. Well, I hope that will be part of uh, what we undertake here this morning. He goes on, he says, Beware, lest any man spoil you. I wonder what you think of when you hear that word spoil. I'm a school teacher, and I have seen this done. A child spends a great deal of time on a piece of work, maybe a drawing, maybe some essay, and the child that sits next to them scribbles over it. Their work is spoiled. It's ruined. I've seen this too. A child spends a great deal of time on a piece of work, maybe slightly has got the wrong end of the stick, and when the teacher comes over, they took, take a look at that work and they tear it up. Or they screw it up and throw it in the bin. It's worthless. They ruin, they spoil that piece of work. Is that what you have in mind? As you hear this word, beware, lest any man spoil you. Well, of course, that would be included. Ruining something, spoiling it in that sense. It's a word that has a much deeper and much fuller significance. And we need to examine that just a little bit. The word spoil here, we have it in our English language. Perhaps we don't use it terribly often. But it's all to do with the taking of spoil. So there is a, a village, a town. And that village is at war with another army. And the army that are embattled against that village are victorious. And as they sweep in to the village, they take spoil. And they take away the liberty of those whom they have conquered. They take away all their goods. And they now become part of the, the, the bounty, the booty, that the conquering uh, army take 
uh, as a result of their conquest. And that's really what's intended. It's ruin and spoiling in that sense, the taking uh, into captivity and the taking of liberty and of goods. But you know, there's so much that we can draw from this. The first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is this. This is a deliberate campaign. The spoiling of the conquered people doesn't happen accidentally. It's not something that uh, almost without thinking occurs. No, this is part of the deliberate campaign of the conquering uh, victorious army. As they sweep in, it is their purpose to take what they can and to take into slavery those whom they have captured. Now, we may never have thought about our own souls in this way, but Paul is warning us, remember, and he's asking us to become aware. Are you unaware that there is a deliberate campaign to keep you from spiritual security and from heaven and the blessings of forgiveness and seeking and finding the Lord Jesus Christ. This is part of a campaign. It's deliberate. It's this spoiling process. There is an enemy, and they want to be victorious over you, and they want to keep you from the Savior and from taking seriously his claims over you. There's a second element to this, of course, too. When the conquering army sweep through, Part of their intention is to humiliate those over whom they are victorious. And so it is in the matter of our souls. Be aware. Be conscious of the fact that there is this campaign, this deliberate campaign to keep you from spiritual blessing. And it is a campaign that is designed and has as its great objective to humiliate you for all eternity, to sweep you into a lost eternity, devoid of any blessing whatsoever. Well, we're not accustomed to think of our lives in this way. But Paul really forces us, compels us to consider these things. But look again. This is fascinating. Beware, lest any man spoil you. Paul Surely you've got it wrong. Surely if there is this orchestrated campaign against human souls, the one who is at the heart of that is the devil, the enemy of our souls. Surely wouldn't it be right and proper to identify him rather than any man? Beware lest any man spoil you. Well, we must think about this. Did Paul get it wrong or did he get it right? And of course we believe he got it right. You see, the one, it is true to say that behind it all is the enemy of souls. He is the chief instigator. He is, as it were, the person orchestrating all these means of keeping us from coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But if he were to do that openly, if he were to do it, so that we could see that it was him, well, surely we would recoil from that in horror to think that he was at the heart of it. 
Oh no, he's much craftier than that. He's much more subtle than that. And he hides behind human institutions, human patterns of thought, so that when we see them, we're completely off our guard. We have no idea, just superficially, without considering it deeply, that he is at the heart of it, that he is behind it, that he is driving it. No, he has those who work on his behalf. But, you know, we must think then, well, what is intended here? Beware, lest any man spoil you. Well, most human institutions are part of his campaign to keep us from Almighty God. We can see it, of course, when we consider the media and how he has uh, an iron vice-like grip over the media and the output of the newspapers, the TV, the cinema, and all the advertising campaigns, all of these things are part of his campaign to keep us. When you hear those adverts, you need this, you deserve this. It's part of his campaign to keep your fixation upon what you can see and touch and possess and have and enjoy. It's all part of his campaign. Well, we can see that fairly clearly. And I hope that that is evident to, to us all, that the vast majority of the media is under his thrall. It's being used by him to keep men and women from seeking the Lord. Then you can look at society as a whole. And even, uh, in, sad to say in our day, even in the highest echelons of government, there are those who are passing laws that are orchestrated by our enemy to keep us from seeking the Lord and taking him seriously. And there is this careful dismantling of anything that might have a foundation in the word of God. Well, it's all part of his campaign to spoil us and to keep us from him. But then we can look at even uh, false religion. Even the false religious systems, the plethora of religious ideas and systems that there are about in our day, whether they are traditional religions or whether they are the new religion, the new age movement and all of those things, this idea of being a spiritual person without ever taking anything from God's revealed word. All of these things are designed and orchestrated. The enemy of souls is happy for you to follow any religion you like as long as it doesn't humble you, as long as it doesn't cause, call you to repentance, as long as it doesn't call you to look away from yourself to a saviour, Christ Jesus, the only saviour from sin. And all of these things, he uses them to inoculate us from ever taking seriously the claims of the word of God. But just before we leave this little phrase, beware, lest any man spoil you. And that is comprehensive. And I'm afraid to say we have to consider this. This includes each one of us too. Because we're complicit in this. I read at the beginning of our service from Jeremiah chapter 17. 
that verse that says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And each and every human heart is part of this campaign and a willing participator in this campaign. And it may be even this morning as you hear this message, you're kind of shutting down. You're resisting. You're rejecting it. You're doing everything in your power to resist it taking a foothold in your heart or in your mind. Because by nature, none of us want this message. And we all make spoil of ourselves. That's the truth. That's the reality. We all live in a way that is designed to humiliate us and to lead to a lost eternity. Well, Paul goes on in the verse to tell us what it is that keep us from uh, the Lord God. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He gives us a very full description of the forces that are at work to keep us from salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a little word about the word after. That if you look at the text, occurs three times. Through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. It's an interesting word, well translated here, and it has to do uh, with the direction of downwards. It's unmistakable. All the commentators draw attention to this. And we might say, or to paraphrase it, we might say based upon or founded upon. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit based on the tradition of men founded on the rudiments of the world and not after uh, founded upon Christ. And that's at, really at the heart of what is being said here. So what is it that will keep us from the Lord Jesus Christ? What is this campaign orchestrated to manipulate our th outlook and thinking and patterns of behavior? Well, first of all, it's philosophy and vain deceit. The thinking patterns of mankind, human thought, all purely human thought is part of this campaign to keep us from the Lord Jesus Christ. You might think about human thinking as a jug of water. You take that jug of water and you pour it out perhaps onto some kind of slope and the water cascades down that slope what if there is an object in the way what will happen well the water is unconcerned it simply takes the easiest course so that it can continue on its pathway downwards that's almost a perfect illustration of human thought human thought never wants to consider eternal, holy, or uh, matters of salvation. Those things we avoid. And if we are confronted with them, if they come into our pathway, our thinking process 
orchestrated by the enemy of souls, and we've been trained to it. We'll think about that in a moment. Simply takes the easiest course, perhaps in a quiet moment. I'm concerned about my soul. As I reflect on the sort of person that I've been, my conscience is troubled temporarily. What do I do? Well, characteristically, we drown it out by throwing ourselves afresh into the things of the world. That's the pathway that many take. Others simply live in denial and crush it and destroy that voice of conscience and bludgeon it until it's heard no more. But we all find ways, the easiest path, Rather than facing those things, we just take a route around them and we avoid all thought of spiritual things and matters of the soul. Is that someone here? Is that characteristic of you up until this point? Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. All human patterns of thought. Don't just take the easy path, but consider deep, holy, eternal things. Then there's vain deceit, what we might call empty delusions. Well, no, let's call them what they really are. Lies. Spiritual lies. And deceit takes a number of forms. It can be by way of omission when something is left out. That's one form of deceit. And uh, it's often manifested in this campaign in this way. Oh, don't worry. You don't have a soul. The denial of the presence of a soul. But on what basis is that assertion made? Where has that come from? Well, it's come from a, a mode of thought that denies the existence of the soul and the existence of God. And so it's kind of like the initial assumption of a whole pattern of thought. It has no other basis than that. And actually the reality is that no one really thinks that. I'm going to talk about celebrities for a moment, but only because we see this so often uh, and we see it publicly a celebrity passes away and their funeral is held. And what do we hear people say? Well, he's probably up there looking down on us even now. And whilst that's just foolish and ridiculous and it has no foundation at all, of course, what it does betray is that in our heart of hearts, we know that we are more than just flesh and blood and the mere chemical constituents that make up our physical bodies. We know that we are more than that, and we possess a soul. And that can only be maintained because that is the initial assumption that is made. It has no basis in reality whatsoever. It's a vain deceit, an empty delusion. But then deceit can take the form of fabrication. And we may, may uh, have heard it in this form regarding spiritual things. Well, there are many ways to heaven. 
Uh, you uh, may seek it in the Bible and the God of the Bible, but every religion ultimately, surely, will lead to heaven. And how ridiculous is that? On what basis is that assertion made? And even a moment's thought shows how foolish that is. Because if that were the case, you've got gods who are fundamentally opposed to one another, who have a completely different moral outlook. How can both be roots or pathways to eternal glory and to the bliss of heaven? No, a moment's thought dismisses that. And it's only able to be sustained if you take that as your starting point. It has no basis in reality whatsoever. But then there's a third category of deception, and it's that of minimization. Okay. So, yes, sin is a problem, but it's not such a big problem as you make out. Surely God, who's a God of love, yes, he'll overlook our frailties, and as long as I'm not too bad... I'll be okay. He'll accept me and receive me into heaven. Well, on what basis can you make such an assertion that sin is not so bad and that even a small amount of sin can be accepted, tolerated by a holy God? It has no basis in reality. And if a, there is a God, one true, all-powerful God, he is surely a God of holiness. That is how he has revealed himself in the Bible. And he cannot abide sin. All sin must be punished. And this is simply wishing on a star to say that uh, sin is not as bad as all that. Then lastly, there are dece deceptions which are exaggerations. And the exaggeration that we most often hear is this. Well, if there is sin and I need to be saved, I can save myself. There must be something that I can do. There must be, even if it's some very difficult, very arduous thing, I'm prepared to do it. And surely God will receive me on the basis of what I have accomplished. Well, again, it has no basis in reality. Because even if there were something that I could do, what about all the sin that I've committed up until now? Even if from now I were able to live a perfect life, what about the guilt and the stain and the stench and the consequences of the sins that I've committed up until now? No, these are empty delusions. And Paul is warning us of, of them here. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, what are they founded on? After the tradition of men. I think this is fascinating. Did you notice that it's tradition singular rather than traditions plural? After the tradition of men. Do you know what Paul is here identifying and putting his finger on is this. Or we may as a race be a collection of diverse cultures and languages and classes and differences in education. Outlooks may be so different, but you know there's one unifying 
thing that joins us all together, and it is resistance to God. The tradition of men. It's part of the culture of each and every one of us. And we are united in this. This is the basis, you see. This is what our life is founded upon, on a tradition. Learned behavior. Things that have become so ingrained and so much a part of uh, the response mechanism of a community that it's rarely questioned. You know, I'm sure, of uh, the village, I think it's down in Devon, maybe somewhere else, someone can correct me, where they have a cheese rolling competition. It's a tradition. They go to the top of a hill and they roll a cheese down the side of the hill and go chasing after it. I wonder if from time to time somebody thinks, I feel a bit silly going to the top of a hill and rolling a cheese down and chasing after it. Oh, but everyone else does it, so I'll do it. And you don't question it. And that's really what's at the heart of this. We never question these things because they have become so much a part of our culture, passed from generation to generation, that to question it would be unthinkable. And in those moments when perhaps we are somewhat convicted of our sin, we are troubled over where we shall spend eternity, what we shall say to our God when we stand before him in judgment. We simply look around us and we say, well, everyone else is living this way. Everyone else continues to reject him. Everyone else seems happy and contented with a life away from God. And so that questioning recedes. And we go on following the tradition of men. Do you know traditions are very hard to shake? And I'm not now speaking so much of a tradition, but something that was a part of British culture just a few hundred years ago, slavery. And anyone who questioned it would have been ridiculed, scorned, derided. It's, it's just part of what we do. To take someone from their land, bring them into a foreign country, strip them of all their rights and force them to do what, they, what we want them to do. For our comfort, for our ends. And when voices first began to rise up against slavery, it was so entrenched, it was so part of the culture that they were shouted down and seen as unreasonable and ridiculous. Do you know, it just may be that as we speak in this way about our modes of thinking, the basis upon which we act and live our lives, it may be that you hate the preacher, that you hate the one who is taking this text and drawing your attention to it. Well, I gladly accept that because it's for the very good of your souls that we warn you of these things after the tradition of men. And then lastly, after the rudiments of the world, the elements, the base principles of the world. Let me return to my illustration of water. 
what happens to water when you pour it out. It continues to flow down, down, down until it reaches the lowest possible point that it can occupy, until it can go no lower. And here, Paul, it's quite harrowing when you think of it. He says, do you know the way in which you act and live, the way in which you think, is going to go lower and lower and lower and further and further away from God and from his standards as life goes on. It's not only that we take the easiest path, but like a group of young people when you gather them together. Isn't it true that the level of humor descends to the person who can shout loudest, the person who can be the coarsest, And that's what human conduct and human thought thinking does. It just goes lower and lower and lower. And in summary, the Apostle Paul says, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. You could say that is the battle cry of human thinking. Anything but Christ. Anything but a provided saviour, anything but a substitutionary atonement, anything but someone that I must look away from myself to and cast myself upon his mercy. And you know, the truth is that we will believe and we will do anything as long as it's not to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will take hold of and base our lives on the most ridiculous things as long as it doesn't involve Christ. That's Paul's summary of our modes of thinking. But as he speaks here of Christ, as he speaks about not founded upon Christ, he is moving almost seamlessly to point us to the wonderful alternative of being founded upon Christ oh and as he goes into verse 9 and I haven't left enough time he opens up to us the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him just a few things that are contained in those glorious words if we are to know anything of God It has to be revealed. That's clear. Because we're told here that in him, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If we're to know of God, it must be revealed. We have to shake off those patterns of thought that keep us from him and see them for what they are. We have to humble ourselves and come to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. And to to receive there, humbly, the teaching of our God. We see that it is in the Lord Jesus Christ most completely that all the attributes of the Godhead are revealed. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you want to know of God, your creator, your judge? Then look 
to Jesus Christ. Examine and learn of him. And as you do so, you will see all the attributes of the Godhead displayed in a manner, in a way that we can understand and that we can begin to appreciate. But it goes on. This verse again tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ was both uh, perfectly God and perfectly man. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. He is God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of the living God. But he took on flesh. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He became a man. And he was fully and completely man. He had human flesh as we had. Human personality. The only distinction being that he committed no sin. There was no blemish, no taint in his perfect and wonderful, beautiful character. But he was fully and completely a man. Do you know, he had to become a man if he was to reconcile us to God. Because uh, on the cross, the cross at Calvary, all of this came completely together. And we see there upon the cross the justice, the holiness and the righteousness of God in the complete punishment of sin so as to eradicate its consequences and at the same time his wonderful mercy and grace that he did it all so that people just like we are can be saved from our sin and a life of futile following after the thought patterns of this world and ultimately being taken away and humiliated for all eternity. But he had to become a man if he was to bear our penalty because he had to suffer it as we would have done. His Godhead sustained him, but his humanity was vital so that the exact penalty that was due to each and every one that would be saved, he could take it, he could pay for it as we would have had to pay for it. That's a, a startling thought, but it's all here. And then in verse 10, and ye are complete in him. Just for a moment, we're talking about being founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul here twice uses a little phrase. He uses it frequently throughout his writings. For in him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him. That's what it is to be founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to fly for refuge to him. To cast yourself entirely upon him. It's to relinquish everything else besides and to run to him and to him alone and to depend entirely upon him. That's what it is to be founded upon Christ. And as we do so, we are told that we are complete in him. We are changed in him. New outlook, new modes of thinking, 
a completely different basis. No longer the captives of that campaign to spoil our souls and to carry us away to a lost eternity. We are complete in him, given a new nature, new desires. We are complete in him. Now life takes on a new meaning, a new purpose, as we serve him and live for him all our days. And do notice that this is exclusive. We could say, and ye are complete in him and in him alone. And in one sense, that is the message of the verse, because we're told here, ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Christ is above all else, glorious, the only saviour. Oh, as we've thought this morning about the forces that shape our way of thinking. Is that you? Have you never thought of your outlook and your conduct in that way before? Then run to Jesus Christ. Cast yourself upon him and be complete in him. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank thee that thy word is so honest with us, that it exposes that which is wrong, but in a way that leads us to the Saviour. O oh Lord, deal with lost and needy souls among us even this morning. May this be a place of salvation. May this be the birthday in some lost and needy soul. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is the hymn 527. Hymn 527, how sad our state, by nature is our sin, how deep it stains.
each one we pray and be with us as we go from this place do bless us with salvation bless us with a sense of the nearness and the blessings of our saviour and oh lord as we come now to the table of the lord we do thank thee that we are constantly and regularly reminded of the sole ground upon which we stand the broken body and shed blood of our saviour the lord jesus christ we thank thee for that spotless life that he lived that willingness that he went in his pure and lovely soul to that cross at calvary there to suffer in ways that are beyond our power to understand but we know he did it all for us we thank thee for that blood that he shed pictured in the the wine oh lord we thank thee for the price that he paid so that we could be washed so that we could be cleansed now lord as we examine our hearts we pray that thou uh, convict us of our sin and then forgive us as we come again to the foot of the cross and may this be a place of blessing for each and every one for we ask in the name of our savior the lord jesus christ amen